Thank you for your kind words, Antley. We'll see if I really am the smartest person that's ever spoken here at RCC. That could be uh, somewhat doubtful. But anyways, it's great to be here with you this morning. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, or the first time in a long time, we're glad you're here. Uh, we, not too long ago, actually a few weeks ago, we started a series going through the book of Ephesians. And our journey through the book of Ephesians is all about discovering or rediscovering, being awakened or reawakened to our identity as the people of God, knowing who we are as God's people, because that is so fundamental, so foundational to how we live as Christ followers. And today we're going to discover that our identity is, that is, who do we think we are? How do we answer that question? And we answer the question today as we work through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, that is, we are alive. Now, I'd like you to help me out here and bring a little bit of life and vitality into this room. I know there is, but let's see if we can get a little more. So on the count of three, I'd like each and every one of us to say, to the degree that we really believe it, we are alive. Okay? We are alive. One, two, three. We are alive. Let's do it again. One, two, three. We are alive. My hope and my prayer is that each and every one of us in this room today will leave this room, will leave this place feeling more alive, understanding our aliveness in God and in Christ, and truly, truly knowing what that means for us as individuals and as the body of Christ. One of my favorite quotes from St. Irenaeus, an early church father, he said that the glory of man, pardon me, the glory of God is man or woman, fully alive. The glory of God is man or woman, fully alive. I mean, for some of us, when we look at those majestic peaks in the Colorado mountains and the Rocky Mountains, for some of us, as we look at that, you know, beautiful Pacific rugged ocean off the coast of Vancouver Island or Oregon or Washington, I mean, whatever image comes to your mind and you just take this deep breath and you go, that is beautiful, God. That is glorious, God. I want you to know that when he looks at each and every one of us, he says, that is even more glorious. That is even more glorious. You see, when Jesus came, he did not come to give us partial life or a little bit of life. He came to give us abundant life. He came to give us full life, overflowing, out-of-this-world life. And God wants us to know what that life is and to know that we have been made fully alive. I grabbed a couple of pictures that, for me, kind of capture uh, people that are in a moment, you might say, of being fully alive. So have a look at these pictures and, and see if you resonate or connect with any of these pictures. And you may have pictures in your own mind of, of what it means to be someone that is fully alive. Now, the bottom left one might be a little bit challenging here in Florida, but uh, trust me, when you see snow and experience snow in its pristine uh, state and condition, it's beautiful, it's glorious. But what is it about these people? And there are so many other images that we could put up there. But as you think of images, and as you look at these images of people who are fully alive, what comes to mind? What is it about these people that makes them, at least in this moment, fully alive? I'd love to hear your thoughts. What's that? Joy. Okay, these people are filled with joy. Other words. Freedom. Freedom. Totally free, liberated, unrestrained. Love. love. They are loved. They know they are loved. 
arms raised. I mean, there is a full throttle, blessed, blessed expression, expression in, the in the moment. How about over here? Energy. energy, lots of energy. And so, again, as I said earlier, my prayer, our prayer is that we would leave this place more and more like these individuals, and that we would have our own picture, our own expression of bringing glory to God by being fully or more fully alive. So let's have a read through our scripture today, which is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And we do have uh, Bibles uh, in the chairs or in the uh, little sack uh, in front of you or behind you. So if you don't have a a Bible, go ahead and use that. And if you don't have one at all, go ahead and take that one home. It's yours. But we also have the uh, scriptures on the screen. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, then we should walk in them. I'd like us to walk through three things here. What have we been made alive from? How have we been made alive? And what have we been made alive for? What have we been made alive from? How have we been made alive? And what we have been made alive for? So let's begin. Because understanding the condition prior to being made alive is instrumental and, and key to understanding the life we have and the beauty of it, and the glory of it, and the magnificentness of it. So what have we been made alive from? When we look at those three verses, first three verses of chapter 2, it, it's not that encouraging. It's not that uh, hopeful, because our condition can be described in these four ways. And they're up there on the screen. The first is that we are described as dead in our trespasses and sin. That is, Sin has made its way as a virus into the depths of our being, down to our very DNA, to the core of who we are as human beings. And so by nature, we are sinners. We walk in the trespasses of the enemy, of sin. You're born, you're born as a sinner, but not only that, we follow the course of this world. Not only is our nature marred by sin, but our environment, our ethos, our world, our culture is infected with sin. 
So not only are we born as sinners, but we're born into a sinful world. It's the whole nature-nurture thing. I mean, even with those two things, do we have any hope to come out of it, to be rescued, to be made alive? In addition to that, we follow the prince of the air, or as it says elsewhere, the prince of this world. It's that kind of nefarious, vile, evil influence. I mean, we do live in a Frank Peretti world. There is a demonic realm. There is a spiritual realm. There is a being called Satan. There are demonic influences out there. And so, not only are we born as sinners, born into a sinful world with so many other people sinning, but we're also following the prince of darkness and being influenced by him in very significant ways. And then Paul wraps it up and he says, which ties into the first two, nature and nurture, carrying out the desires of our flesh. I mean, there's a built-in, because of our nature, narcissism, a a hedonism, that we're just all about ourselves. We, We just can't get enough candy. We'll just eat candy until our teeth start falling out. There's just there's a hunger, there's, a, there's an, an ache, there's a yearning for these things that will, will, will crave our desires, our sinful desires. And so we, we go through these conditions and we wonder, is there any way that we can be set free from these conditions? I mean, Paul summarizes it and he captures it in this way. He says, not only did we follow the ways of the world, the enemy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but we are by nature, children of wrath. Now, wrath has got a bad name in in the Christian faith. I think a lot of people have misunderstood wrath, particularly as it connects to God. But let me unpack this word because this is significant because that's kind of the summary title that he uses of our condition before we became Christians, before we became became Christ followers, that we were children of wrath. Now, the, the word wrath is an interesting word. It, in, in the Greek, it's the word orge, which is O-R-G-E, O-R-G-E. Now, there's a modern-day word that is very similar to that word. It's O-R-G-Y, orgy. Now, the word originally meant this, that fruits and vegetables, when they got so, uh, there was a process that they would go through that they would just be filled with so much juice that they would burst, that they would break, that it would almost like they would explode. I mean, that, that's the word that Paul is using here to describe us, that wrath is, or we as children of wrath, is that our sin, when it's left to its own ends, when it's left to its own means, without any restraint, without any hindrances, and God just steps back and lets us live out the natural and full consequences of our sin, it leads to full destruction, it leads to full wreckage, it leads to wrath. And that's what it means to experience wrath. It's, it's, it's an orgy of people living out, and it's not just sexual sin. It can be gluttony. It can be uh, perfectionism. It can be whatever. But that they just go to its full expression, and it explodes into destruction, into death, into wrath. That's our condition. That's who we are or who we were before we became people who have been made alive. So if that's your condition, how did we get made alive? Now, a lot of us, particularly those of us who've who've battled addictions, who've battled obsessions, who've battled compulsions, 
you know, have experienced hell on earth, you know, we, we can get a taste of, of these conditions. We understand these conditions. I mean, that's why in every recovery program, whether Christian or non-Christian, what is the first step of recovery? The first step of recovery is admitting what? Well, you've got a problem, but that I am powerless over this problem. And so if we truly want to understand that we are people made alive, we have to understand that our condition outside of Christ, before Christ, is that, that we are a wreck, we are a mess, and that we have no power whatsoever over that condition. We are powerless. And so the more we recognize that and realize that, the more that we will appreciate the life that we have in Christ and how we've been made alive and ultimately how we live the life towards others. So how were we made alive? Well, let's move on through Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 4. But God, and this is one of my favorite, most beautiful, glorious buts in Scripture. Not B-U-T-T, but B-U-T. I mean, it but, it's but, 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 but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. So while we were in the mess and the chaos of our wreckage, God jumped in, intervened because of his love, because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of his unrelentless pursuit of us and love for us. And in that state and in that posture towards us came and redeemed us. And I think there is a sense that we need to be, as God's people, uh, reawakened, uh, that we need to rediscover God's love for us. That in the midst of our mess, that God reached out for us. I, I love how... Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-19. He says, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's kind of our part, and we're going to get to that in a moment. That is, in Christ, God... And listen to these words. God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Not counting their trespasses against them. We have to come to the realization more and more that God's love is a love that is so consumed with us that He even comes to the place because of what Christ has done, not counting, not counting our trespasses, not counting our sins against Him. I mean, that, that blows my mind. The essence of love is, is it's, it's an attribute that keeps no record of wrong. And some of us still have an image of God that, you know, He is still that kind of the Father, and He's ready to discipline you, He's ready to judge you. Yes, He loves you, but it's kind of like 95% love, but there's, we still got to allow that 5% of judgment, of discipline. No, love, love 
conquers and, 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 and absorbs God's judgment and God's anger. It, it just it, it, it brings it all together in that he expresses his love towards us and he expresses his desire to see us saved through mercy, through mercy, through mercy, through grace, and through love. Now, there's been, unfortunately, you know, one of the most one of the most popular messages in church history that was written by a fairly well-recognized theologian a few hundred years ago. And, and the title of the sermon is this, Sinners in the Hands of... Can you finish it? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, it's not too often that I want to come up against Jonathan Edwards. I mean, he said some great things. He's, he's a brilliant individual, and he has been a blessing to the church. But I think he missed it there. Because I think if we truly give the title its due, due, true meaning and essence, it's this. Sinners in the hands of a compassionate, loving, merciful, graceful God. And if we do not embrace that, we're going to remain stuck wherever we are in our lives. Because it's what liberates us is God's love. And to taste it and to experience it. This uh, picture came up on, on Facebook. I, I love it. It's, uh, some of you may have seen it. Uh, my wife posted it, but it's, it's fairly popular. This picture of a, a young girl just putting this crown on her head. And she says, On the darkest days when I feel inadequate, unloved, unworthy, I remember whose daughter I am and straighten my crown. I remember whose daughter I am. I remember whose son I am. And I straightened my crown. Today, my hope and my prayer is that all the more that each and every one of us who are followers of Christ would be able to say, I'm a prince of the king. I'm a princess, and I'm going to straighten my crown. I didn't have a crown, but now I have a crown. I was a mess. I was a child of wrath. But God entered into that mess, entered into that sin, Saved me, rescued me, loved me, and made me fully alive. Now, what have we been made fully alive for? We need to know what we've been made alive from, how we've been made alive, and then ultimately, what have we been made alive for? Let's read on through Ephesians right through till verse 10. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here we have a picture that we're not saved by works. It's not our effort. It's not like we have to do something. We, we are actually, as it said earlier, we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Now, what does that mean to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies? That, that understanding in, 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 in biblical imagery is this, that when Christ lived his life, ministered, died, was buried, third day rose and ascended, and what, God, what did God do to him? He seated him at the right hand of his throne. So Jesus, because of what he did, was seated. So in, in that day and age, to be seated meant this. 
that the work is done. The work is completely and totally done. That Jesus clearly declared, it's finished. It's done. I know that my wife and I, you know, the past six months has been a significant period of time of transition, of moving. And there was one day that we were cleaning up our house back up in Lansing, Michigan, getting it ready to be sold, getting ready for the move. And we had a number of things to accomplish. And it was a full day. But at the end of that day, we were able just to sit down and have a cool drink. And we just sat down, and we were able to sit down and say, it's done. It's done. What needed to be accomplished is now done. And you just kind of sit in that. And you just bask in that. And so when Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father, it meant that the work is done. And so we have now been seated with Christ. And what that means is there is no more work to be done in regards to being loved, to experience God's love. God did it all. Jesus did it all. There's no more to be done. Sit and rest in the reality that I have made you alive. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Revel in it. But, and here's, here's the beauty, we need to get up from our chairs and we need to be the workmen and to do the good works that Jesus has called us to. So we've been saved and made alive from wrath. We've been made alive by the love and by the grace and total intervention of God because he loves us. But now he wants us to demonstrate that love and that mercy and that grace to a world that so desperately needs to see it. In 2 Corinthians, uh, I love how Paul writes these words. And, and again, it's important to note that, and you may have heard this many, many, many times if you've grown up in the church and have heard many teachings on this, that we are God's workmanship, that we are God's masterpiece, that we are God's creative work of art. And when, when art is created, in whatever shape, way, or form, it's been made or created, what do we do with it? Do we kind of package it up, put it in a closet, close the door for no one to see? Art is meant to be what? Shown, displayed. We are God's work of art. God's glorious work of art that is meant to be displayed, is meant to be shown. People who understand where they've come from and understand how they've been loved and know that, yes, we are seated in Christ in the heavenly realms, and that means that there's no more work to be done as it relates to our salvation and to having a relationship with God. He's done it all. He's made the way for us completely and totally. Now we get to rise from our seats and walk into the world and demonstrate and display that grace and that mercy that he's given to us in so many creative ways. But I love these verses here in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 to 3. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by some, by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Each and every one of us who've been made alive are a living letter, a letter that is to be read by the world. But so many of us keep our letters inside the envelope. We keep our letters inside the post office. And sometimes that is an apt description of, you know, a church, that, that letters come in here, each and every one of you come in here as living letters. 
but your story is meant to be read by those out there in the world. God is writing a story in each and every one of you, and he wants that story to be read by all. When Jesus came, he came not to seek those that were, had it together, those that were righteous, those that were well. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, the least, the lonely, the invisible, the distressed, the discouraged, those in bondage, those in pain. And we are to be the living letters to go out there and to minister to them in so many ways, to be the good works. I love what happens on Saturday mornings down at Street Corner. I've had the opportunity to go there many times. And what are they doing? The good works of just blessing people with food. Going down there, blessing people with food. I love it when I see the pickups come in with uh, pickup loads of fruits and vegetables and, and bread and, and stuff that's been donated from Panera, and we just give it away, just give it away. That's showing and demonstrating that we've been saved by a merciful, gracious, caring God. I, I, I love it when, uh, when we have many people here with Young Life that are serving Young Life, and they're serving kids in, in high schools and middle schools and are, are reaching out to kids, are, are earning trust with kids. They're giving their ears to listen to their stories. They're giving their time just to, to be with them and to walk with them. I love what's happening in, with Rethreaded. Uh, last week, they had a ceremony here in this building of 11 graduates of women, of ladies, who had been caught in the sex trafficking industry and had been rescued and brought into this program at Rethreaded and graduated from the three-month program, and lives are being changed. It's because people have chosen to bring the good works of grace, of mercy, and love to those people. It may be your neighbor across the street. And I want to close with this story because a lot of times, uh, we, we sometimes we get, we get stuck somewhere. And I think all of us can probably relate to the fact that we're, we're stuck somewhere in this journey. Some of us, man, we haven't even experienced God's love. You may have walked into these doors, and you're still in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. You know, sin has taken over your life. You're heading towards wrath. You're heading towards wreckage. You're heading towards destruction. My, my hope and my prayer is that God meets you and redeems you and saves you. You may be in the process of, yes, I've been awakened. I've been, uh, I, I'm experiencing God's love in fresh and new ways. Uh, but I, I'm, there's more to it, isn't there? There's more to it, isn't there? And there are some of you that are out there that are, that are doing it and, and are being the good works out in the streets and the highways and byways of this community, but you're struggling and, and you're feeling depleted and you're feeling like, man, is this what I signed up for? And, and, and my hope is that wherever you find yourself this morning, that as we move into prayer ministry time, that you will be an individual that will experience the love of God in a fresh and new way today. But sometimes there, there's some things that we need to do that sometimes it's, it's a matter of stepping out in faith and doing it, and that as we do it, God does something. It's a story about this gentleman who uh, was a Christian for about 30 years. He'd grown up in the church, and, uh, you know, he's a bit stuck in his ways, a little bit self-righteous. And across the street, uh, there was a rental, and that rental got changed over, uh, new tenants moved in, and he always had a, a hard time 
with, with that rental. And the new family moved in, a couple of young, young couples moving in and sharing this home. And, you know, he was just like, oh, here we go again, another set of renters. It's just going to you know, lower my price. My house is going to degrade the, the neighborhood, and it's just going to be a mess. And, and God kind of convicted him, and he said, I, I just want you to go across the street. I want you to go across the street and just introduce yourself to them. And he wasn't the type. He was kind of an introvert to himself. Yeah. You know, again, grew up in the church for 30, 30 years, but had never really reached out to this, uh, these new neighbors or previous neighbors that were in this rental. So he said, okay, why not? And so he, he walked across the street uh, towards these individuals, and he just simply went over there and he said, you know, I'm so-and-so, welcome to the neighborhood. But this is what's important, is that he had grown up in the church for 30 years, but the 30 yards that it took him to go from here and there God awoken him to his love and to his grace and to his mercy, and he experienced more change than he did 30 years in the church than he did 30 yards of walking towards those people because he was willing to take that step to go towards others. And as he took that step, he discovered the love of God in a way that he had never experienced before. And some of us, it may be just taking those 30 yards towards someone or a group of people, and that's all he wants you to do. But for starters, maybe it's just simply taking a few steps forward towards the stage. And kind of as we transition, and for those of you who are new, visiting with us, again, we're glad you're here, uh, we kind of conclude uh, our worship time with this third part uh, of our service. Uh, we, we are passionate believers that it's not just about hearing God's word, but allowing God to work in our lives and to change us. It's all about the spirit. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with who's up here. It, it's, it's God's word coming through whoever's up here to minister to you and to allow yourselves to be ministered to by him, to allow the spirit of God to move mightily and powerfully. And so in this time, we're just going to take a few moments simply just to wait on God. And there's one of two things you can do. You can simply stay there where you're at and just allow God to continue to minister to you, to continue to speak to you, and to have his way in you so that whatever part of today's teaching needs to be stuck to you and, and work its way through you, that you give God that opportunity to do that. Or you may want to come forward. And, and here at River City Church, we just believe that uh, we want people to be blessed and people be prayed for. And so... If that's what you'd like to do, just to come forward, we have prayer ministry team, people here that will come, and we'll just pray for you. The worship team will come as well and, and just continue to lead us in worship. So as the worship team uh, makes their way uh, to the stage, let me just lead us in a word of prayer and uh, again encourage the ministry team people to come forward and get ready to pray for people so that if you want personal prayer, just to come forward and they're simply just going to lay hands on you and pray for you and encourage you and bless you with whatever God wants to give you. And if you just simply want to stay in your seat and just kind of soak it in, go for it. You can do that. And then in about, you know, 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes, you know, if you do have kids, you can eventually make your way over there uh, to get them so that they don't feel like we've forgotten the kids or that you've left the kids here and just taken off and gone shopping somewhere. So let's pray. Mm. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, and Lord, if there's anything that has been said by me that is not of you, just vaporize it from our minds, from our hearts. All we want is your word, 
your word that is true, your word that is pure, your word that is life-giving. And so, Father, just uh, welcome us and receive us as we are. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to us where we are and that we would leave this place all the more awakened to your love, more fully alive in you and understanding what that means and how we can live that out. So, Father, have your way. And as we just spend time waiting on you, we pray, Holy Spirit, have your way. Let the gifts of the Spirit be released so that people may be encouraged, may be built up, may be edified. So we say, come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. We say, have your way. Do what only you can do. And that is transform us, heal us, and change us.